Father in heaven, we thank you for the blessing of fellowship and the Spirit of God. We just know, Lord, that there's no way that we could, each one of us, be here if it were not for you drawing us. So, Lord, help, we pray, to um, fulfill your purpose for us being here, each one of us, and help us to absorb and learn what we need to to actually make a bigger impact on the kingdom of God and the growth of your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at this briefly, starting with the top where it says key indicator chart. This particular master plan asks for certain numbers, baptisms, Bible studies, literature, discipleship studies, Sabbath worship attendance, Sabbath school attendance, tithe, and school enrollment. And these are meant to be indicators of the health of your church and, you know, help you to be able to tell how your church is doing from year to year. Okay, now some of these you may not have started tracking, so you might need to think about how to do that, but you get an idea of what is being asked for here. Then there's a section in here called retention and discipleship chart. This is intended, you know, oftentimes we look at indicators that are very easy to measure, like baptism and tithe. And by looking at those indicators, we, you know, can tell certain things, but only so much. And one of the things that we know in the Seventh-day Adventist Church over the last 50 years is that at least four out of ten of our members have left the church. So roughly our retention rate is about 60% as a global church. Now, there are different reasons for this, and uh, I may talk about that a little bit, but the reasons most people give is that we are not doing enough to nurture our new members after baptism. And I agree that that is true, but I think almost half of the problem and this is just from a global church standpoint, this may not be the case in most places in Michigan, but from a global church perspective, and I just talked to the retention, Nurture and Retention Committee about this a couple weeks ago at the General Conference, the problem is what we're not doing before baptism. So in many places in the global church, there is such an emphasis on the growth of the church that um, people are being baptized who have very limited understanding of what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist. And people do not stay in the church when they never really fully embrace the church as much. And so this is a problem, and we are trying to address that. At the last Nurture and Retention Summit, everything was about discipleship and what you're doing with members afterwards and about membership audits and about reclaiming missing members and all these things that are, we commonly talk about. And so we talked about in the meeting afterwards, I, I mean, we did a little review and I shared that I think we have a major problem because we are not in our nurture and retention summits talking about what we're doing prior to baptism, what we're doing to prepare people for baptism. And it's because it's a taboo subject, if I could say as much. Here in North America, when I was, you know, in the evangelism director position, I remember getting a survey, and I could tell from the survey what it was asking. Basically, the viewpoint was that to make sure that people understand and practice the 28 fundamental beliefs, 
is uh, tradition. It's based on tradition. And that if we want to baptize biblically, we should just baptize people as soon as they want to be baptized, and then we should just be careful to disciple them afterwards. And this is simply not true. The reality is that we know very little of what happened in these cases. We take little select verses of Scripture and think that we know the full context of what was going on, and we don't. The reality is that there was a very different uh, group of people that were being dealt with in the early church times in which many, if not most of them, had a full knowledge of the types of biblical fundamentals that you and I uh, have learned, but they did not accept Jesus as the Messiah. And when they did, there was a thorough understanding. There was also the fact that we have been given lots of counsel and spirit of prophecy that really helps us know the things that are important for us to make sure that we emphasize before someone is baptized. And if we had time, we would have a whole, in past years, we've had whole sessions on preparing people for baptism. I would recommend, uh, and I'll share it uh, in a moment so you can remember, but we're going to be publishing through the Review and Herald a book that we published first here in Michigan called Fundamentals of Faith. And I think everybody who's baptized should first go through something like Fundamentals of Faith which is a baptismal preparation guide that's pretty thorough and makes sure that people understand the decision that they're making. So um, this, is a, this is a problem for retention, is what happens before baptism, not just what doesn't happen after. But if you're going to know what's happening with people, you can't just ask them about baptisms. You also have to know, well, what are they doing two years after they're baptized? Because, you know, if we're... If we're not simply making members, but if we are, according to the mission, making disciples, then we need to know how is that going? How is the development of discipleship going? So in this retention and discipleship chart in the middle of this uh, page, it starts by asking for your total number of baptisms and professions of faith in the last two years. Okay, this one was a 220. Yeah, they needed to change that year. It should say 2017, 2018, but it's your last two years. And then... It says, how many of, uh, of these new members moved away or have died or whatever? Okay, so let's remove those from the number. So let's say you have uh, 12 new members in the last two years. And then two of them, one of them moved to another state and one of them passed away. Now you have 10 new members in the last two years. Of those 10 new members, how many attend Sabbath worship service regularly, approximately three times a month, attend Sabbath school regularly, attend prayer meeting or small group regularly, have been assigned a spiritual mentor and are being actively discipled, actively engaged in witnessing and church ministries, are now giving one or more Bible studies to other non-Adventists, <laughs> I would say two non-Adventists, hold a church office, are mentoring or discipling someone else, or no longer actively attend Sabbath worship services. So this gives you a better picture when you do it of what you're really looking at a couple years after, how many are really still attending, and then of those, how many are actually actively participating. And this is something that you should do. So what, what would need to happen in order to complete this is, you know, the pastor with the elders or with the church board would look at the list. You know, it's not difficult in Michigan. You just use e-Adventist, pull up your baptism and profession of faith list from the last three years, look at the whole list. You've got the names right in front of you. 
and you ask, you know, of these, how many? You fill this out, and while you're doing it, you have a little aha moment, right? Because you're like, hmm, maybe we're not, you know, maybe we need to figure out some things we can do better because we're not seeing the type of of ongoing development that we want. Yes. But as a church member and as a leader, as an elder, mm-hmm. I seem to have witnessed a lot of times the pastors seeming to need to have the numbers, and so they seem to be pushing the candidates into the tank faster than I feel that they should be going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all I do as a lay member when that is taking place. Well, I mean, I guess the first thing that I would do is talk to the pastor openly about it and share the specific areas maybe that a new member that you are a prospective new member um, that you feel that they, they are not quite ready. One thing that you can also do in, here in Michigan is... Um, you know, it was here that we developed the Baptismal Preparation Guide, Fundamentals of Faith. So if there's some aspect of that that they clearly are not, you know, comfortable with, then you can share that with the pastor and say, look, it says right here, this is, you know, something that we want to make sure that we have helped them to embrace, and they have not embraced this yet. And therefore, you know, I don't know that we should feel comfortable with this. I mean, would the conference feel comfortable with this? You know I mean? Because they helped to develop this. Um, and have those personal conversations with the pastor. If you feel that a pastor is just bent on, you know, slip and dip, <laughs> as we call it. <laughs> um, if, that is, if that is like a philosophy you're kind of sensing, then you might want to have at that point um, a further conversation with ministerial and just explain that, you know, you're just uncomfortable with. Um, but I would make sure that I processed it through carefully with the pastor first. Um, but I mean, it's a real issue and we don't want to be doing that. You know, if it's now there are, let's be clear. There are areas where, you know, you're, you're using judgment. Um, but a lot of times it's not, a gray area and it's pretty clear and people are doing it anyway and those are cases where you need to address it. From the conference level for the pastor to be having so many numbers per year so he's feeling pressured by that to, to push him through even after that. Um, there is pressure from the Lord Jesus on every pastor to baptize as many people as possible. Um, so every pastor feels a burden to baptize, okay? Whether the conference put that on them or not, most pastors will feel it a part of their calling to be baptizing, okay? So that pressure is sort of, um, it's, it's a healthy pressure, actually, um, you don't want pastors, the, one of the problems that happens in a lot of places, because they're so, oh, we don't want to be about numbers, we don't want to be about numbers, it has become 
status quo doesn't matter. Let's not worry about numbers. We're not worried about growing the church, whatever. And we can't get in that mindset either. So we have to be both. Yes, we got to, we got to remember our mission includes baptizing. Jesus told us that, but also, you know, we cannot baptize people who are not ready to be baptized. And if they're not ready, then it doesn't matter how badly we want that to happen. We can't do it. If a pastor ever feels, um, you know, I mean, there are cases, I'll, I'll just be transparent here, in this conference as well as many conferences, I'm sure, where if you have pastors who have zero baptisms or one baptism, multiple years, their administration is talking to them. Because that's not fulfilling their calling. They're not growing the church. I mean, that, that's, I mean, part of being ordained is that you show that you are a soul winner and that you show that you, the call of God is upon you. Um, so if there's this blank slate for multiple, you know, I mean, it's, everybody can have a bad year here, there, maybe one or two, but if you have some consistent zero, one for years, you can believe that those pastors are being coached. You know, they're not being scolded. We want every pastor to succeed. But, but pastors do feel a certain, uh, should feel <laughs> a certain drive to want to grow the church. But that is totally uh, harmonious with also having the same conscientious conviction to not baptize someone when they're not ready to be baptized. Those things should be going hand in hand. Um, so that's what I would say to that. You know, we've talked a little bit about this. Mark talked about it on Sunday, I know. Um, but I'm just going to, I'm going to share a couple of things about the GROW model of disciple making that I think every church needs to think about. And it does uh, connect with what you're saying, Vera, before it's all said and done. Um, but I'm going to quiz you first. Okay, so since Mark already went over this, and most of you have been here the whole time. So tell me, what is the first step in your, your, you first meet someone, what do you need to do um, as the first phase of disciple making? And it's, it's, it's this one right here. Prepare the soil, that's right. What do we do to do that? Friendship. Mingle, meet their needs. Okay. All right. Okay, testimonies coming in here. Mm -hmm. What's that? Gain trust. Okay, so, and this happens through building friendship, ministering to needs. Okay, well, well, we'll flesh that out a little bit more in a moment, but you could add different types of needs and that sort of thing. But then what's the next thing that you would do once you have gained some level of confidence? Okay, what's the seed? Okay, so how do you do that? Mention something about your faith. So enter into some dialogue on spiritual conversation. Right, you test the soil a little bit. What we generally, since this is just the first planting, this is often talking about spiritual conversations or sharing your testimony or sharing a piece of literature or media. Okay, so planting is just just beginning to plant the seed. If they show interest from that, then what do we need to do? We need to study the Bible with them. We need to cultivate that spiritual interest. And as you study with them, that spiritual interest grows. And that's the longest phase in the disciple-making process. It can take months to do that.
And then once you have studied and they have a, a knowledge of the truth, what happens then? Okay, what's a harvest? Okay, and to get a baptism, what do you need to do? You need to ask, okay. You need to appeal for decisions, whether it's publicly or personally, you need to appeal for decisions. And then they ultimately will make decisions culminating with the ultimate baptism decision. Okay, and then what? You have to preserve that harvest through discipling, okay? Mentoring um, and getting them involved. This involves both developing them in their own spiritual habits and deepening them spiritually, their own understanding of the truth, making that deeper, also involving them in activity in the church, involving them in the social life of the church, getting them involved in personal uh, witnessing and things like that. So this is developing them, growing them, and getting them engaged so that the cycle continues. Now, let me just say something about the idea of this being a cycle and continuing. The number one problem we have in our churches in terms of growth, the number one problem we have in the Seventh-day Adventist church in terms of growth is that we have not taken serious the mission of making disciples and we have stopped after we baptize them. So, for instance, if you baptize someone, okay, certainly that is a reason to celebrate but what do you need to then do? What do they need to be um, experiencing next? Okay, winning souls. But getting them engaged in winning souls is not enough. They actually, if they just win souls, then it stops there. So what do they actually need to be training them to do? So if I win one person and train them to win someone else, then once they win that someone else, it's done. I actually have to train this person to win and train people. So the idea is not just disciples who make other disciples, but disciples who make disciple makers. I mean, you have to think and, and, and put it in this context. In your own life, who are, who are the leaders you are mentoring to be leaders? Because if we're not, then we ourselves are not really uh, linked in to the cycle. We need to have people... Remember Jesus when the disciples were following around? What was he doing with them? Teaching them what? How to do what he did, right? And, and it's fascinating because uh, I'm going to show you a text. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, young minister, says in verse 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now I'm in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So how many, uh, how many different chains, links in this chain do we have? We have Paul, who taught Timothy, and Timothy was to teach faithful men 
who could teach others also. Do you see, in Paul's mind, he didn't see an end to this thing. Everybody who teaches is making teachers who teach. I mean, the, the, the idea is, even when we get out of the member mindset and we say we need to make soul winners, oftentimes they themselves are not imbued with that passion to make other soul winners. So, they, so there has to be an ongoing philosophy in the minds of Seventh-day Adventists that we make leaders. We are leaders who make leaders. That's what we're doing. We're not just winning. It's not just the baptistry. That's only, we've only gotten part way when we've gotten to the baptistry. The real issue is then actually training that person to become a trainer. And that takes an ongoing process. There needs to be, that's why Ellen White says that every church should be a training school for Christian workers. Because it's not just about us receiving the truth and assimilating it. It's about the church becoming a training school of ongoing development. And that is the only way that we can move from the plan of addition to the plan of multiplication. So that philosophy, that vision has to be instilled into every church member. And that's the idea of, of, of Jesus evangelistic strategy. And it's fascinating because if you look at Jesus' ministry, he did minister to the masses but he focused to a great degree on the disciples. I mean, he spent significant amount of time just with the disciples. They were the ones he was most concerned about. Why? Because when he left, they were going to be responsible for taking it to the world. So he poured himself into those 12 men. He poured himself into those men. And we have to recognize that mentoring people after they're baptized to where they understand the full weight of the mission and message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, they understand that is vital. We can't just baptize people and then make sure that they get involved in greeting and, and scripture reading. And, that, and that. That's a start. But they've got to be developed into this soul-winning mindset of making other leaders who make leaders. And this is going to take ongoing training, a whole philosophy shift in many of our churches. It's, it's, it has to become part of the, of the environment and atmosphere of a church. And right now in most of our churches, it simply is not. So this is why this is an ongoing cycle. Now, I'm going to give you another paradigm shift. When we talk about evangelistic strategy, we need to start, okay, normally we talk about, okay, let's build a calendar. And on the back of the master plan, you'll see calendar of events, and that's part of what you'll want to do. But we talk about building a calendar. And usually, if you've been, if you've, I won't say usually, but if you've been around evangelistic trainers, you've heard people talk about the different phases of the evangelistic process, and they will put certain events in order on an evangelistic calendar. So a public evangelistic meeting might be the anchor point, and that's your harvest. And before that, you have a heavy dose of Bible study pre-work. And before that, you have you know health uh, cooking schools and community service events, things like that, and maybe a literature month. And of course, at the end, then you have your discipleship. 
this is nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, and I encourage there to be a, a systematic approach of the calendar. But what I believe is that a church needs to have a certain bedrock foundational ministries that are always happening. And what happens in many churches is they just build these event calendar and they don't have these ongoing bedrock ministries. And I believe these ministries can be summarized uh, one for each phase of the evangelistic cycle. Okay, And if you were on the website, you can see this on the About page. Okay, so to prepare the soil, we need church-wide community ministries. This is the bedrock prepare ministries, okay? This is going to be, yes, health ministries, but also community ministries. Now, I'm I'm purposefully not saying community services, not because I don't believe in community services, but because we equate community services with what? Food and clothing, okay? So we think... Health ministry is cooking school, and community services is food and clothing. Who, by the way, takes care of the food and clothing ministry? Tell the truth. Three little old ladies who have been doing it for the last 20 years anyway. Okay? So what we're talking about here is, what's that word? The key is in the adjective on each of these. Church-wide community ministry. So you need to have, even if it's only a couple times a year, some sort of community impact type of uh, ministry event. So do something where you have a, uh, uh, get the whole church out to impact the community on a community cleanup or to, um, or to go to, well, first you would have to go and, and maybe check with your civic leaders, your police chief, your mayor, somebody who's in the community and say, our church wants to do something to really impact the community. Is there, you know, is there anything specific that you feel that we could do that could be of, of benefit to the community. Um, become acquainted with the community. And then have something that you do as a church-wide type of project at least once or twice a year. And I want you to think, too, about your own life. The church needs to be involved in every area, but I believe every Seventh-day Adventist needs to be involved in every area. What I mean is, what are you doing to prepare the soil? So this could mean that you're involved in health ministry and you're involved in the church's health ministry. Uh, it could be in, be involved in the church's community ministry. It could be that you have, uh, you know, some personal uh, soil preparation going on with individuals in your work or in your neighborhood that you are, you know, trying to do some good deeds to build confidence and what have you. But you need to be doing things for the least of these. I mean, if we're not then we might be on the wrong side of Matthew 25, right? Remember what Jesus said? If you haven't done it for these, then you haven't done it for me. And, and you end up being on the wrong side in the judgment, okay? I'm not trying to put a trip on you. I'm just saying we can't just be unmindful in our own life of doing things for the blessing of others. But then... Planting the seed needs to be something that happens as a church-wide ministry as well. I call it active literature and media ministries. This is different from uh, just having one day a year where you do a you know, missionary book of the year. Okay? This, we're talking about active. So I believe that every church should have a prominent 
literature and media display that is free to visitors and members are encouraged to use to distribute to people in the community and that they should be encouraged every week to take from that literature to share during the week. Like it shouldn't be a once a year thing or whatever. It should be something that is, becomes part of the regular life of the church. Why do I think that? Okay, let me give you a couple reasons. One, Ellen White says that in the end, those who are uh, converted to the truth will trace, the majority of them will trace their first convictions back to the reading of our publications. She also uh, says that we should be doing this as the leaves of autumn, including even leaflets. And the cheapest thing that we can do is go tracks and while you're at it, biblestudyoffer.com tracks so that you can be getting Bible study interests. So these are things that should become part of the life of the church. And that's why in Michigan we instituted, and I think to some extent we still, every April we try to emphasize literature again around the conference so that people are thinking about it. But in a local church setting, this needs to be buzzing. That means you need somebody who's in charge. Okay, somebody, an assistant personal ministries leader or somebody who's in charge of literature ministry who makes sure that there's plenty of stock of a wide range of free materials, that they're being promoted from the front on a regular basis, that Sabbath schools are being encouraged to have literature goals and, and, and realizing those, that once a year maybe the church has an overall literature goal, that there's literature promotion going on on a regular basis. So I would have somebody specific in charge of that and make sure that there's active literature and media ministries going on because planting doesn't just happen at a certain time of the year. It should be happening all the time. And church members should be getting this stuff out all the time. Then, all the time, there should be a vibrant Bible study ministry happening. So Bible study ministry is something that we typically have as a correspondence school that maybe a few people know about. There might be two or three members who give Bible studies. But this is why we started BibleStudyOffer.com in Michigan, was to put it before all the members and have it be something that everybody thinks about. Because if, even if you are not yet giving Bible studies, you ought to be offering them. You ought to have tracks and things that you can leave when you leave your literature that offer Bible studies. You might be somebody who will be willing to host a Bible study. You can put a BibleStudyOffer.com sticker on your car. Many of your cars are naked and you need to clothe them. You can find ways to be involved in Bible study ministry, even if you are not yet the one giving the Bible study, even though I would venture to say that every one of you could be giving a Bible study right now. And that you should be going to your Bible study coordinator in your local church and saying, when you get an interest, I would like to follow it up because everybody can be involved in this. A vibrant Bible study ministry is something that doesn't happen in the corner. It's something that's promoted in the church. Every guest who comes into our churches should be asked a question. Have you heard about our Bible school? Right? I mean, this, if this actually happened, it, you know, and this is what happens in our churches. This is why personal ministries leaders are so important. In our churches, we flame out all the time. We just flame out. We have a brief and then and everybody goes back to nothing. And I'm telling you, you need people who have a spark in them. You need people who do not let things die. You need people who, as Elder Gallimore used to say, spin the wheel every time they go by it. Because things don't just stay spinning indefinitely. 
If you want people to pass out literature, you have to talk about it from the front. If you want people to be giving Bible studies, you have to remind them about what's happening. You have to put in your calendar mailings of Bible study interest cards on a regular basis. You have to make it part of the ongoing ministry of the church. This fourth area, the bedrock harvest activity, every church should have regular public evangelism to gain decisions. I just, you know, I know I've pastor churches where they were like, well, pastor, we do evangelism every other year. I said, well, okay, let's not. <laughs> let's do it every year because I like to get interests because, because we're about getting interests because interests are the only things that will equate to baptisms and baptisms are the only things that will equate to disciples who make other disciples. So I believe in regular, no less than once a year public evangelism. I mean, if you want to take the seventh year, the Jubilee, you know, you want to take the seventh year off, have at it. But other than that, we should have regular public meetings. Even if you feel like, oh, it didn't go great this year or whatever, try it again. I mean, this public evangelism will never do everything, but it's not supposed to. It's only one part of an overarching process. And then we should have ongoing discipleship ministry. And I'll tell you that the discipleship handbook that we first published here in Michigan, and now we've published at the General Conference, is a great way to start somebody during the first six months after their baptism getting integrated into the church. And that should be an ongoing ministry that we always have. But we are in the process of developing a Bible study handbook that I would, that hopefully will be ready at GC 2020. And that book is going to be something that you can take six to 12 months to train members after they've gone through the discipleship handbook on how to be further grounded in the truth and learn how to give Bible studies to others. So we need to have ongoing systematic ways of discipling people after they are baptized. These, aside from your calendar, these just need to be always happening. You understand what I'm saying? And so many churches are not, they don't understand the rigor with which the aggressiveness of evangelistic activity that our pioneers started this movement with. Ellen White says, we must look our work squarely in the face and move as fast as possible in aggressive warfare. I mean, think about that. We must look our work squarely in the face. What's she saying? She's saying we, we can't hide from it. We can't pretend it's going to just happen on its own. We got to look it squarely in the face and we've got to move as fast as possible. I mean, that's incredible words. And I think that is what we need in order to make that happen. Not just calendars that have intermittent events, but ministries that have leaders in each one that are going to make sure they focus on keeping that burning and active and all those things happening. If we just did that, you know, I think that our churches would experience some incredible growth. Um, just one major fundamental ministry in all five of those phases. Um, I would point out that if you go to this website, um, you can see this little description. Each one of the descriptions, uh, you can click on a PDF and print out PDFs to use in your church. And... Uh, each of the phases, prepare, plant, cultivate, every one of them has a little description about like how to have a vibrant Bible study ministry. 
and it gives seven simple steps and some inspirational quotes. And then it'll have all of that also in a PDF that you can print out and use in your churches for training. Yes, I saw your hand. I'm sorry. Yeah, so let me show you this too. If you look on the screen, you see graphics there. Logo creator. So you could type in Lansing and hit create. And in a jiffy, (laughs) depending on the speed of your internet, you have a Grow Lansing logo. And you can download zip. And it downloads, I can't get to it right now, but it downloads five graphic files, a a pink file. Okay, so if you want the individual ones, you can simply email your personal ministries and Sabbath school team because they have them. Yep. The other thing I was going to say is in this, there's also a banner that you can do without emailing anyone, just straight from the website. So if you did Lansing... And here's size. Uh, if you order it from Hamblin, that's their size. If you order it from Vistaprint, that's their sizes. If you order it from somebody else, you can put a custom size. But this is one of those vertical pull-up banners. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah. Like that, but these are wide, extra wides. It's about half that width or something, 33 inches or something like that. But um, again, if you do this, it will give you a way to download it. And then you have the graphic file. And then you can just email Hamblin or upload to Vistaprint or whatever, and you can order that vertical banner, and it's customized for your church. The whole idea of, uh, of the logo here, from a general conference standpoint, where it says, grow, and in brackets, your church, is that you will put your church there. So it's, you know, grow Columbus Eastwood, or grow whatever the name of your church is. That's, we want it to be something that becomes your strategy your plan, your mission, and it, it becomes a way to educate your members. Because see, it's not just, I mean, you're trying to educate and create a, an atmosphere and philosophy of disciple making in your local church. And so having visuals for people just helps with that. Um, so yeah, each of those. Now there are also, just while I'm on the website, I can show you, there are videos here that i Pulled a couple of people from Michigan over to the General Conference. So we did that on the Hope Channel set, and we had them make us a little set. Well, it does sound simple, doesn't it? It does. We use the term. So these are five-minute training videos, and there's a dozen of them here. We have 27 more recorded on uh, frequently asked questions, and we just need to get them edited. We haven't edited them yet. But you can see on here, download guide. You can actually show these. We encourage you to show these five-minute videos. We encourage it during your mission program during Sabbath school. Um, but show them, and then in your bulletin, you can put these training guides, and they have little fill-in-the-blank that go along with the video. You know what I'm talking about? Like you can fill in the blank when you go along with the video. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's, uh, that is for these 12 videos available, and then the next 27 we're working on. And then also, just so you know, we're working on a series of materials. You should be familiar with the Discipleship Handbook. You guys, I don't know how many of you have seen, you know, some of them maybe not see the new one, but this is the one that we developed through Review and Herald. 
This is about to go to press. This is Fundamentals of Faith, the, the uh, Baptismal Preparation Guide. And this is being written as we speak, and we hope to have it done at the beginning of 2020, and then it won't be printed until probably in time for GC session. These two, we hope to have ready for GC session, but they're still up in the air a little bit. But this is my first priority right now. But anyway, basically for each phase where we're saying we want you to have an active ministry in that phase, we're developing resources to help the local church to, have, to know how to um, have an active ministry in that phase. So that's the idea behind that. And then there's other resources in this uh, as well um, that you can find different stuff that we've had on in the personal ministries department of the general conference for a while. Um, okay. Any questions before I move on to something? It has been out here in Michigan. We've revised it slightly. Um, and one of the things we did was put an appendix with all of the official fundamental belief statement back there so that there was no question that we were not trying to write a new fundamental beliefs for the church or something, but it was very clear that we were just putting it in a different order and simplifying certain things. Um, it's mostly for baptismal preparation, but it can be used for general study too. But it's been revised a little bit, but there's an early version that we did here in Michigan that she's holding in her hand right there. Yeah. It is thin. It's a saddle-stitched book. Yeah, because it's a baptismal preparation book. You wouldn't want to give somebody... <laughs> A book like this and say, okay, let's get prepared for baptism. It'll be, we'll set the date now for 2021. Um, so that's the intention of this. And you'll notice that the way we're doing it now is attaching it all to the GROW model so that they're color-coded by the, the phase that you're emphasizing, if you didn't pick that up. And all of them will have on the back the logo of the phase that is, you know, being emphasized. So that's how that's set up. And there will be others. Like, if I'm reelected in 2020, then I have in my own plans to add another Harvest book on uh, a public evangelism handbook. It would be like a thorough how-to guide for doing public evangelism. And we also are probably going to have a book that accompanies the Bible study handbook that's more methodology, whereas this is more doctrinal. Um, but anyway, you'll see over time. <laughs> right. Yes? Can you uh, order books directly through that? Um, well, the only one that's available right now is the Discipleship Handbook. We just are giving you an idea of the growth series. But you can write from here, go to Buy Now, and it will take you to the ABC website, basically. But, there, but this particular book is actually in stock over here at the ABC right now. Yeah. I was just wondering, so if I did have to order it You could order it right through there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this is, uh, if you buy in quantity, the price goes down. So if you wanted your church to buy them for their church ministry, it would be cheaper. Um, I'm going to come back to this. Oh, yeah, 15 minutes. Um, so the back of this is a calendar. And notice this is a back to the master plan. I wanted to kind of walk you through this ministry idea. But now I want to show you that when you put together your calendar, when you're putting together a plan, 
Notice it says date or frequency. So that's where you would put either the date of an event or you would put monthly, weekly, whatever, the, whatever it's referring to. Um, then primary evangelism phase. So what that says is, okay, if you're putting a list of events and you put down cooking school, uh, health expo, um, you know, concert, uh, vacation Bible school, and you're like, man, I'm really filling up my calendar. And then you go and put primary evangelism phase. You're going to go cooking school, prepare the soil, concert, prepare the soil, health expo, prepare the soil, BBS, prepare the soil. And you're going to say, well, <laughs> maybe we need to make sure that we're covering every phase of the evangelistic process and we're not doing only one or two phases. You understand? So this is a critical uh, part of your planning to make sure that you are not, um, not having bottlenecks in your growth process. Because you need an active Bible study. Let, let me tell you what most people have. They have a bunch of preparing the soil. They might have an evangelistic meeting. And those are the key, key uh, events. Most churches are strong in those areas because those are corporate events. And our churches are weaker in personal ministry. So ministries like Bible study ministry were weaker because that involves individuals personally ministering to people with Bible study. We're weaker in literature planting because that involves people getting out and being active in personally distributing literature. So those, and then in mentoring, you know, preserving, mentoring is more of a personal thing. So we tend to, those tend to be weaker in our churches and the things that we can do together in a big corporate events, we're stronger in. So you've got to fight against that and make sure that you have active ministries in those key, uh, you know, message sharing parts of the, of the, uh, of the process. And I, if I could just say, really, the heart of evangelism is sharing the gospel. But most of our members prefer to prepare the way for the gospel. And there's nothing wrong. We need to prepare the way for the gospel. We need those ministries. But unless we get serious about, you know, getting out of our comfort zone and finding ways to share the message, we'll not see growth. Because the power is in the word. The power is in the message. That's what converts souls. First uh, Peter 1.23, right? We're born again through the word of God. That's how people are converted to the truth. You can love someone into the church but eventually they'll leave if that's what it's based on because your love will, you know, flame and flicker. But if you want them to stay, then the power of the truth has to grip them. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, it needs to be accompanied by uh, uh, all of the aspects of the, the method of Christ, you know, in which he sympathizes with people, shows that he desires their good, etc. There's no question about that. But the staying power is always the truth. That's the staying power in the church. That's why I make that emphasis when it comes to retention. We always want to focus on, you know, when we talk about retention, we want to focus on retention, you know, like uh, hand-holding. 
and making the atmosphere, you know, non-offensive for them and all of that. Look, we need to make them able to handle offense, not just make it so that they never possibly be offended. You understand what I'm saying? Um, I remember I was flying out to do a discipleship thing over in Asia somewhere. When I first got to the GC, I think it was in Taiwan, and I was on the plane, and I was thinking to myself, it was a retention conference. And I thought, what has the church done to retain me? And I couldn't really come up with much of anything. To be honest, I'm okay with that because I'm not going anywhere. The reason is because I've been involved with my faith. I've been sharing my faith. I've had to grapple with people's questions about the church and Ellen White, and I've had to study it out. And then I've found that it's even more true than I thought in the beginning. And as that has happened, it has strengthened me. But see, that's, that is the heart of retention, is the sharing of faith and, and growing in the truth. And we've got to make that more the focus than just making the loving atmosphere, though the loving atmosphere should be focused on too. But the message is what keeps people. And when it comes to evangelism, this is the core part that always seems to be the weakest. We do so much on the preparing the soil, but we do so little in our, among our members in actually sharing the truth. We've got to get the truth out. The power is in the truth. That's why we're focusing on the Bible study handbook because it's so, so needed. But anyway, that's what this primary evangelism phase does. It helps you to see where, how balanced you are in your evangelistic planning, and then your activity or event doesn't have to be just an event. It could be a ministry, like your Bible study ministry or whatever it might be that doesn't have a date per se, but it's an ongoing type of ministry. And then you, you know, as a church, need to evaluate the strength and uh, continual operation of that, making sure it remains active. Okay, thank you, everyone. Let's pray together. I really appreciate you staying by. Father in heaven, thank you for this time we've had to talk about evangelistic strategy. Lord, change our hearts and minds to help us, each one, to see ourselves not just as members, but as disciples. And not just as disciples, but those who, because of that, are always thinking of how to make disciple makers. Please help our churches and us, Lord, to embrace this calling and to move from the plan of addition to the plan of multiplication that the work might be finished through the outpouring of the Spirit of God. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.